This morning, what I want to share is a message on living as children of God. And uh, this is something that's very, very close to my heart because it's a journey that God's been taking me on. He's learning what it is to be a son uh, and learning what it is to uh, just enjoy him as a loving father uh, and just know his love for me. Um, you know, that in Luke 15, uh, Jesus tells a story of two sons. Uh, most of you are probably familiar with the story. It's known as the story of the prodigal son. Uh, it really should be the story of the incredible father. But there are actually two sons in that story. So the first son, uh, oh, thank you. The first son, as you probably well know, is a son who uh, demands his inheritance early and really doesn't want anything to do with his father. And he goes off and he squanders what he's been given and he ends up in the pit of despair. He essentially rebels against his father. And uh, at some point he comes to his senses and decides that he'll go home to his father. He figures his father's a good man and at the very least he could be a servant. In fact, I think probably the most he expected was to be a servant in his father's house. And we all know the story. He comes home and the father greets him, runs to greet him on the way. And he doesn't just restore him into the household, he actually restores him to a place of sonship. He puts a robe on him, he puts a ring on his finger, he puts sandals on his feet, and he says, you're my son. All's forgiven. Come back. But there's actually a second son in that story that we often overlook. And that's the older brother. And it's interesting to observe the older brother's reaction uh, to the father when the younger brother comes home. So the younger brother comes home, the father receives him with joy. He forgives him. He restores him to a place of sonship. He throws a feast to celebrate the fact his son's come home. And the older brother, what's his reaction? His, re anger, his reaction is anger. He can't believe what his father's done. He can't believe the injustice. He can't believe that this younger brother who's gone and rebelled and done everything he shouldn't do. <laughs> he can't believe that the father's accepting him with joy and gladness and forgiving him so freely. He can't believe that the father's going to kill the fatted calf and throw a party. And resentment comes out of his heart. You've never done that for me. And there's a, in some ways, I think a really tragic kind of, in a sense, end to the story where the father turns to the older brother and says, did you not know that everything I had is yours? And I think the story of the younger son in itself, there's, there's tragedy in there, but then there's restoration. But in some ways, the story of the older brother is even more tragic because he'd lived in his father's house all his life. He'd been in the family, but he didn't know what his father was like. He couldn't believe his father's reaction to the younger brother. He couldn't believe that his father would celebrate. He couldn't believe that his father would forgive. He couldn't believe that his father would restore. He couldn't believe that his father would welcome him back in. He'd lived with him all his life, but he didn't know who the father was. 
In fact, the father said, you have had access all your life to everything that I have, but he didn't know it. What a tragic story. What a tragic situation to be in. You've got full access. And yet you didn't know it. And I think so often in the story, we focus on the story of the younger brother. We forget about the older brother. But my story in my life has very much been that journey of the older brother. God spoke to me probably the last, I'd say, well, I'd say about 20 five years now. I remember I read a book at university. I went away to university and I wasn't in a good place. I was in, externally, people would have seen me and thought, this guy's got it all together. This guy's going on with God. He's being fruitful. He shows leadership qualities, all of that. They would have seen on the outside lots of good things going on, but on the inside, I was broken. I read a book called Orphans to Heirs by Mark Stibbe that began to change my life. Incredible book about the spirit of adoption. And God began to speak to me about being a son and began to just pour love in where there was fear. And that's been a journey that I've been on for the last, I'd say, 25 years. It's a journey I'm still on. And God's taking me on that journey. But my story was in some ways mirrored that of the older brother. I'd grown up in church. My parents planted churches. Uh, I'd have been seen as very successful. But the reality was, I didn't know the father very well. I knew him a bit, but I didn't really know what he was like. And he's, over time, just been revealing more and more of who he is and more and more of what it is to live and walk as a son. I just want to ask you, what kind of relationship, what quality of relationship do you think you can have with the Father? What quality of relationship do you think Jesus had with the Father? What level of intimacy, what level of connection do you think Jesus enjoyed with the Father? I want to suggest to you that the same level of intimacy, the same level of sonship, of daughterhood is available to you. In John 14, Jesus describes his relationship with the Father like this. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles. Jesus said, I am in the Father, the Father's in me. And then he goes on to say this, and I will, this, he's talking about when he goes. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. You know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then he says, on the day of Pentecost, on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. You can't get much more connected than that. <laughs> He uses the same language to describe his connection and relationship with the Father as he does to describe the connection and the relationship that's available to each one of us. He says that he'll come and make his home in us. Remain in me and I will remain in you. 
There's this incredible statement in the famous prayer that Jesus prays in John 17. There's this inc- absolutely incredible statement. You know, as you begin to read scripture from the, with, with the eyes of sonship on, and ladies here, daughterhood, as I say that, please. But as you begin to read it as a child, you could say you've got sunglasses on. You begin to see with different lenses. You, you, different things begin to stand out to you. And in John 17, he says this. I've made you known to them. He's praying to the Father. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. What an incredible statement. Jesus came to reveal the Father. As well as to go to the cross, I think the two key things he did in his earthly ministry was he came to reveal the Father and to destroy the works of the enemy. And it says, I've made you known. Why? So that the love that the Father has for Jesus might be in each one of us and that he himself might be in us. How incredible is that? That The love the Father has for Jesus is the same love that he wants us to know and to experience. I believe that the same relationship and intimacy is on offer and the same love is available to each one of you. Romans 8 tells us that we've received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. Jesus was a son and we are in Christ. So what stops us enjoying this relationship? I just want to highlight two barriers, I think, today that I've experienced and had to work through myself. The first one is... the first shift I think that needs to take place is that we need to learn how to be spirit-led and not mind-led. We need to learn how to be led by our spirit rather than our mind. I believe that we primarily connect with the Father spirit to spirit. He's spirit. We connect spirit to spirit. Now that doesn't mean our mind is unimportant. It doesn't mean we don't use our mind. It doesn't mean we don't think. We've got the mind of Christ. But you see, our spirit is able to take us places that our our mind and our understanding and our intellect wouldn't. There are examples of this in Scripture. In Ephesians 3, Paul prays uh, that famous prayer for the church in Ephesus. He prays that they would be strengthened and that they would be rooted and established in love. And he prays that they would have power to grasp how high and wide and deep and long is the love of God, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that they may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What an incredible statement that you could be filled to the fullness of God, and how? By experiencing and knowing this love. But he says that they would know this love that surpasses knowledge. How can you know something that surpasses knowledge? How can you know something that's beyond comprehension? I believe we know it first, spirit to spirit. In Romans 8, Paul says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. I love the story on the road to Emmaus when the disciples are walking and a man comes to join them 
It's after Jesus has been crucified and they don't know that he's risen yet. And this man begins to explain to them what's happened. And he goes through the law and the prophets and he begins to explain it. It says, their hearts were burning within them. <laughs> they knew, they didn't know, but they knew. <laughs> and I love that experience. I love experiencing that with God when I know something. I don't know, I, I couldn't explain it to you yet, but I know. Jesus' words were spirit and truth. I believe they penetrated right to the spirits of the men and women that were listening. I think in this context, it's important to say, I think knowing the Bible isn't enough. Knowing the Bible in itself isn't enough. God shocked me one day when I was on this journey, it was about 10 years ago now, and I was just reading in the Gospels where Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees, and he said to the Pharisees, you study the scriptures every day, but you don't know me. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. And it actually scared me, to be honest. Because my confidence and my trust had been in my understanding of the Bible and what I'd been taught in my theology. And here was Jesus saying to the Pharisees, you study the scriptures, you know the scriptures inside out. You have all your I's dotted, all your T's crossed, you have an answer for everything, but you don't know me. It's just like the older brother. They'd been in the house, but they didn't know the father. And it scared me that it's possible to have a perfect theology and yet not recognize God when he shows up. In fact, they killed him. And that's what religion does. It kills God. You see, the Bible is supposed to be an entry point into a relationship. We read the Bible not as an end in itself. We read it to get to know the author. We read it to encounter and experience the one that we love. It's a bit like the difference between reading somebody's autobiography and actually knowing them. I usually, when I did this last time, I used Barack Obama as the example of that. Uh, I don't know that Donald Trump would go down quite so well. Um, but I was thinking this morning, as I was just praying, you've got an example in your own environment. Uh, I met Sam last night, Sam McQueen. Footballers often will, towards mid or end of their career, they'll produce their autobiography. When Sam's autobiography goes out, many fans will pick that book up. I might get a copy myself. I'll read it. And then people might ask me about him. We've got David Carter in our environment. He keeps telling me that Sam was in his youth group. People might ask me, and I could give some answers. I could tell you about him where he lived, where he grew up, maybe what he likes, some of his history. But I don't know him. I don't know him. The quality of the answers that a friend would give, how much better would they be? Or a brother or a sister? Or a mum or a dad? They know, they know him. They don't just know about him. 
You see, you can read the book and you can know about somebody, but actually the book, what you really want is the relationship. What you really need is to know them intimately. That's the difference, and that's what God is inviting each one of us into. And the second thing I found in my own life is that acts as a barrier is having a distorted view of the Father. I think so many people live with a distorted view of what God is like. You only need to go out onto the streets. If you were to go out onto the streets or ask your friends, what's God like? Imagine the sorts of answers that you might get. You should try it one day. Just go and ask. It'll be really great insight. Now in the church, in here, we know all the right answers. We know what he's like. We could tell you all the right answers. For years, I could tell you, if someone said, does God love you? My answer would have been yes. But there's a difference between knowing it and knowing it. You see, it's all about knowing him and what he's like. And I think there are probably three significant things that affect our view of the Father. I think significant relationships will shape our view of what God's like. Life experiences often shape our view of what he's like. And church, and what we've been taught in church, I know for me that was a big thing that shaped my view of what God was like. And for years now, my prayer to God has been, I want you to show me what you're really like. Not what my life experience has taught me you're like, not what others have taught me you're like. I want to know what you're really like. So I just want to ask you, what's your God concept? When you think about God, what, what comes to mind? What do you feel? What do you experience? For years when I heard the scripture that God is slow to anger, abounding in love, I could connect on an emotional level far more easily with the anger of God than I could with the love of God, even though that verse is really all about his love. So I just ask you, just, just being honest with yourself, what do you experience? What, what's God to you? Are you afraid of God? Do you think God gets angry easily? How do you think God responds to you when you make a mistake or get something wrong? That's a great barometer of where we are in this journey of kind of orphan to sons. Is he distant or is he close to you? Does God like you? Is he generous or is he stingy? You see, the religious spirit actually produces poverty. Sonship produces abundance. Do you experience a lot of guilt and shame in your relationship with God? Do you, need the, do you feel the need to ask for permission before doing anything? Does God laugh? Is he fun? Is he joyful? 
It says in his presence, his fullness of joy. Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness more than any of his companions. He would have been a good guy to be around. It was news to me when I began to realize that even things like the fruit of the Spirit, I'd read that in Galatians so many times, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And I kind of saw them in some ways as kind of moral attributes. And then a few years ago, God just said to me, no, that's, that's who I am. It's not just some kind of theoretical attributes I want you to attain, it's actually who I am. And it began to change the way I looked and meditated on that verse. God is love. God is joy. Your father is peace. Your father is patient. He's kind. He's good. Your father is gentle. He's faithful. He's full of self-control. We also know from 1 John, God is love. And 1 Corinthians 13 tells us what love is like. That's just telling you what your father's like. And if you want to know what he's like, look at Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. They're one and the same. If you want to see the Father, then look at Jesus and how he responds to people when they make mistakes. How he responds to people when they're desperate for him. So I just want to invite you this morning. I started with the story of the two sons and the older brother. And as I said, the tragedy for the older brother was that he'd been in the father's house, but he didn't really know the father. And I just feel this morning that God just wants to pour out his love and that spirit of adoption uh, upon us. He wants to just bring revelation of who he is afresh. Uh, to each one of us. And I, I just want to invite you, if that resonates with you, I just want to invite you to stand. And this isn't about shame or judgment. Okay, just this week, uh, God was highlighting areas in my heart that actually were still orphaned and needed a touch from him. He was highlighting that to me just this week. This isn't about guilt and shame, but I believe in just acknowledging before God our need actually... It's like repentance. Repentance just means to change the way you think. Okay? It's like an act and saying, God, I want to be a son. I want to be a daughter. Show me what it is to live as a son and daughter. Show me your love. 